in the Episcopal Church, the liturgical rules are that your patronal festival uh, can be transferred to the nearest Sunday uh, near when the feast occurs. So um, the uh, Feast of St. Luke is actually tomorrow, October the 18th, but we can take this liberty and translate it uh, to October the 17th, which affords the opportunity every year to say some things about our patron, St. Luke. What St. Luke's principal outlook about the Christian faith and life is, how we as people part of uh, a church that has the patronage of St. Luke, how we understand how that might influence both our own internal spiritual, emotional, and mental states, but how it influences uh, the community of faith in a corporate sense. There are, by the way, more churches dedicated to St. Luke in the Diocese of El Camino Real than in than any other dedication. I looked it up this week. St. Luke's Los Gatos, which I think is the oldest one, St. Luke's Hollister, St. Luke's Holone, and St. Luke's Atescadero. So I think, you know, uh, in the days when we were building a lot of churches in the old <coughs> Diocese of California, Bishop Block a famous church-building guy, he used to fly. This is not an apocryphal story. He used to fly in a small plane, and when he was being shown pieces of property where he might be able to build a church, he'd drop a flower sack out of the plane, and it would go, <laughs> build it there. So how he got to Halone, I don't know, but he sure did. He seemed to get everywhere. But St. Luke... Uh, is a wonderful church to be the pastor of and a wonderful dedication. By the way, uh, patron saints or naming uh, churches after saints is very ancient in the tradition. Uh, it is something that began with the building of churches over the site of martyrs. And so as time went on, when the Anglican church was uh, deeply influenced by the Protestant Reformation, there was a time when this practice was not as commonly uh, used and maybe in some parts of the Anglican Communion today. But since the 19th century, this practice has been revived almost everywhere. And so we now have our churches are all named after saints, except if you have wayward individuals like the Episcopal Church of the Almaden or something like that. But... Um, <laughs> That's a point of view coming through. Just ignore, don't, you heard that. You know. Uh, so in any case, uh, we, we have St. Luke as our patron. So today I thought I'd say some things generally about Luke. And then to speak to you about the major literary and religious themes in his gospel. Actually, if you want to appear to be in the know, you should always refer to this as Luke Acts because Luke and Acts were written by the same person, and they combine uh, the, the, the totality of the themes of Luke's outlook about the Christian faith and life. So on one level, you know, Luke is the great theologian of the Holy Spirit of God, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us. And in his gospel, we read about the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus Christ. And the gospel that I just read to you says Jesus in the spirit. 
So the gospel is about the Holy Spirit located there in his earthly ministry. And the book of Acts is about the transfer of this Holy Spirit to the people of God that we call the church. So you and I become both the beneficiaries of God's Holy Spirit and the fiduciaries, the stewards, the custodians of the Holy Spirit of God moving forward and understanding how powerful that is. The greatest agency for transformation in people's lives. God coming in an inward way to enlighten them and to strengthen them. Luke is the Shakespeare of the New Testament. His Greek is the best. And he was a Gentile. There is no reason to doubt that he was not a physician. There are more healing stories in Luke's gospel than in any of the other gospels. Luke understood himself to stand in the tradition in the ancient Near East of the historians of the Greek Hellenistic world. And so he believed that he was retelling for his readership and listenership the history of salvation, the saving works of God, as we understood them standing in continuity from the sacred literature of the Hebrew people through now to our understanding uh, as, as Christian people. I have my own theory that Luke probably was in a Christian community of, that contained a number of fairly well-heeled Gentile Christians who were struggling now nearly two generations out from the Christ event with the challenges and the opportunities that all Christian people face on a regular basis since that time. And that is, how then must we live? How must we understand our own personal history as it relates to God's purpose for the cosmos? And what role do we have to play in big and small ways in God's plan? And you hear me say to you over and over again that each one of us has a role to play. God unconditionally accepts, loves, and forgives us. And he wishes to live us to live lives congruent with his purposes. And he will bring his loving power to bear on every person to see that that be so. Sometimes you and I find it very hard to understand that or to believe it. But Luke, our patron, believes it. And he speaks about it in his gospel and in the book of Acts uh, frequently in various ways. So think about this. Also, he believes in the importance of the healing presence of God. And so as a physician, he is very taken with Jesus' healings, but he sees that they have far more significance than merely the physical alleviation of symptoms and the restoration to the status quo ante. He understands somehow that God's healing presence has saving power. The same word that is used in the Greek New Testament for to save also means to heal. That is true also in the Hebrew Bible. And so when Luke speaks of salvation, there is always the element of healing and wholeness brought to bear on his understanding of God's presence in the cosmos. So in his two-volume set, Luke acts... 
Here are some of the principal themes that when you hear Luke's gospel read to you, the gospel that I read to you a little bit ago, I'm going to speak about at the end, the great gospel of liberation sort of in some ways recapitulates these themes. The first one is world affirmation. Luke is the least sectarian of all of the gospel writers. Luke has a positive view towards the world, not only as God's creation, but as the arena of human history and human activity. Luke is generally approving of those outside the Christian movement. In other words, he's not engaged in any immediate plan to get into a persecution mold with regard to this uh, plurality of being in a world that is uh, not just Christian. And finally, he approves the compatibility of human culture and Christianity, that human symbols are adequate vessels of the good news about God. So he wants us to understand that God's presence situates itself both in the corporate history of God's people and in your personal history. Remember during the great 50 days of Easter, we talk about the fourfold shape of the Easter liturgical expression that has its focus in the great vigil of Easter. And one of the things we speak of is that part of the fourfold shape is the reading from the Bible of the history of salvation. And the conclusion that the early Christians drew from this was not only were we hearing the story of the people of God's history of salvation, of God's saving presence in their lives, but they began to put two and two together and to understand that their own personal history was part of the history of salvation. And so Luke's world affirmation has something to do with that. The other big theme, or one of the other big themes, is something that biblical scholars call the great reversal. I think this probably sprang out of his own uh, experience in his own Christian community, where he understood that there were people within his community who were prominent, members perhaps of some elites, both economic and social, and that he began to see that when those individuals who were part of that group traded on their special status, that God's plan was not to exalt them, but to exalt the less fortunate. And so there is in the Magnificat, in the voice of the Blessed Virgin Mary, that those of high degree are going to be brought low. He also places... Uh, many important things in the mouths of holy women, both in the gospel and in the book of Acts. So he represents uh, the advancing of a viewpoint about uh, all God's people being part of uh, this process of the history of salvation that certainly was not universally shared by his contemporaries. So Luke is, is at pains to say that uh, those who are less fortunate, those who receive the opprobrium of people who are in exalted positions, 
are the ones who are going to get exalted. The poor in Luke's gospel, who are mentioned a lot, and who we get from Luke the idea that uh, how the poor get treated is a very important part of how we understand the Christian faith in life, is not there for the purpose of exalting the poor as a morally privileged group. The poor stand for all who have been rejected on the basis of human standards, but are accepted by God. And if you find yourself as part of a group that uh, are treated like pariahs, you have the sure confidence that God's saving healing power is available to you. And in Luke's gospel, that is one of the great themes, and both there and in the book of Acts. But these human, va- or these human values or these attitudes that Luke is talking about are not for the purpose of persecuting or punishing those who act in a way that Luke contends are not going to be exalted. They're there because he believes keenly in God's salvation. And that this salvation is offered freely to all people. He is not for the destruction of the wicked. He is for the saving of the lost. And in his gospel, he speaks about this frequently. And you know, one of the great examples is the prodigal son. You know? I think one of the great lines to me in the, in the story of the prodigal son is when the prodigal son, it says, and when he came to himself. Have you ever had an experience like that? Have you ever come to yourself and seen now you need to move in a direction? And Luke's gospel in the book of Acts is full of this, this presence, the necessity to do this, to in some way to come to yourself. He understands that to be through the word of God enshrined in the sacred scriptures, but also in the words spoken by those who seek to be the transparencies and reflections of God's grace and love in the world. And whenever you are hitting on all eights and able to do that, using not necessarily any religious vocabulary to do it, when you express the highest and best of your human values, you affirm what Luke understands uh, about the presence and the power of the word of God. And that this produces, as the result, the processes of conversion. Luke is very interested in conversion. And in the book of Acts, we read about conversion, the conversion of a very important figure in Christianity, Paul. And how he came to himself. And how he all of a sudden realizes that he needs to change the direction of his life. And finally, as the result of all of this, Luke believes that we must respond to this faith that has begun in us, this movement in some way uh, towards God's purpose. I had a priest a a long time ago say to me that, you know, this process of sanctification that occurs in all human beings is like in a chemical reaction. There's something called, I didn't do that well in chemistry in school, so... If I get this wrong, just bear with me. But there's something called valence. 
You know how a, how a molecule is attracted to another molecule, and it's an irresistible movement that now produces this coming together. And in some way, this process of, of faith at work uh, is what happens, that uh, it demands that we change our behavior. And so we begin to think, you know, how am I going to do this, and how am I going to live a life more congruent with God's purposes. The people who followed Jesus and heard him began to see that he was uh, continuing in some ways the prophetic tradition within what we would call Judaism. And in today's gospel, we have the story of Jesus going back to his home area and going to the synagogue on the Sabbath and reading one of the great texts of liberation from the book of the prophet Isaiah about the setting free of the captive, the restoration of sight to the blind, uh, the oppressed go free, the acceptable year of the Lord is being declared. And Jesus says without flinching that today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing in me. And when you see me, and when you hear me, and when you seek to follow me, you can be an instrument of that liberating work. For Luke, the culmination of the Old Testament prophetic tradition was John the Baptist. And Jesus now is going to move us in a direction uh, not in a sort of Lone Ranger style of being a prophet, but his understanding that if we follow him, he can tell us what it is that we do after him. In John's gospel, it says we'll do even greater works than he. So we're not watching a tableau here. We are being given tools that we can use to be faithful. So this week, think about uh, being part of a, a, a faith community that's dedicated to St. Luke and see if uh, you have the opportunity to affirm those aspects of Luke's major themes, salvation, conversion, the response of faith, the affirmation of the world in such a way as you become now an instrument of God's tr transformative power. That's one of the reasons it's great to be part of St. Luke's Church. Amen.